Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman and I am the founder of Directional Ministries located here in Lynchburg, Virginia. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles today to Matthew chapter number 8. We're going to be breaking into a new chapter today. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18 first. We'll read those, we'll open in prayer, and then we'll get into the study. When he was come down from the mountain... Great multitudes followed him, and behold, there came a leopard and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy, for thou shouldest come under my roof, that thou shouldest come under my roof. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed." For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say unto this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. And when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. And when the evening was come... They brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and he healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now when Jesus saw the great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. Heavenly Father, we do come before you today. We ask that you bless the reading of your word. Ask, Lord, that you'd open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to understand the things that you have for us. Lord, you know the needs that are represented on both sides of this microphone. Ask, Father, that you would meet them according to your riches and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we see here in chapter number eight, when Jesus had finished giving the law, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, he came down and immediately healed three people. He healed a leper, he healed a the, the centurion's servant, and he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then he went and cast demons out of some who were possessed. Now, there are a few things that I want us to notice about this passage. The first thing is that the healings were a fulfillment of prophecy. In verse number 17, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. He is referring back to Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number four. Surely he hath borne our griefs 
and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. So the first thing we see is that the healings were a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The second thing we see about this passage is that the healings demonstrated that he could cleanse their sins as well. So not only did he have the ability to heal their bodies, but he had the ability, and this demonstrated that he had that ability to cleanse their sins as well. Uh, In Isaiah 53, in verses 5 through 6, it says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. So not only could he heal their mortal bodies, but he could also cleanse their sins. We also see this in the healing of the paralytic who was lowered down through the roof in the book of Mark. You remember Mark chapter number two, verse number five. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And immediately after he said that, as you know, they're like, whoa, this man uh, says he can forgive sin. Yeah, he could clean, he could heal physically and he could heal spiritually. And the third thing that we see in regards to this passage of scripture, not only was it a fulfillment of prophecy, not only did it demonstrate that he could cleanse their sins as well, but also it, it the healing testified to his deity. Because in chapter eight, again, in verse number two, it says, and behold, there came a leper and worshiped him saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. You see, he accepted the worship. So the healings showed three things, as we can see. Now, let's take a closer look at each of the healings. The first healing was of a leper. Now, leprosy, or what we call today Hansen's disease, was a a contagious mutilating. It was an incurable disease that was normally in biblical times, it was fatal. Matter of fact, it wasn't until the early 1980s that a cure was eventually found for Hansen's disease or what the Bible refers to as leprosy. Now, I've always wondered why Jesus, after healing people, would tell them on occasion, not all the time, but he would tell them, tell no one what has been done for you. I mean, why would he say that? Uh, because in verse number two, number three, and Jesus put forth his hand and touched him and said, I will thou be clean. And immediately the, leprous, the leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said, see thou tell no man, but go thy way and show thyself unto the priest. I think it was for two reasons. And again, this is purely speculation. I'm not going to write a book about it. But I think, number one, he knew that if he became famous too quickly, it would lead to a quicker confrontation with the religious leaders and thus would expedite the cross. In other words, he knew he had a certain amount of time in which he had to fulfill a certain amount of things. And he did not want his fame to spread abroad too quickly, thus provoke the confrontation, thus expedite the cross. In Mark chapter number one, verse number 45, it says, but he went out and began to publish it (laughs) uh, much and to blaze abroad the matter. So not everybody listened to him at all. (laughs) I mean, Mark says, matter of fact, speaking of the same leper, 
not only did Jesus say, see thou tell no man, but Mark adds a little caveat that he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter in so much that Jesus could no more privately enter into the city, but was, but was without in desert places and they came to him from every quarter. So um, Jesus, I believe he just, one of the reasons was he just did not want his fame to spread too, too quickly. And then the second reason I believe was to fulfill scripture. In Matthew chapter 12, we'll see in verses 16 through 19, he charged them that they should make him known, that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. So I believe there's two possible reasons. You know, uh, the first one, I think, is more speculation than the second. The first being that he did not want his fame to go about too quickly, thus uh, force a, a confrontation with the religious leaders and expedite the cross, but also to fulfill scripture. Uh, things just had to be done uh, in his earthly minister in, in his earthly uh, ministry. Now, the second healing we see was. Um, was involving the centurion. Uh, the centurion, uh, as Jesus came into Capernaum, uh, he said, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy and grievously tor tormented. Now, a centurion was a Roman soldier who was in charge of 100 men. It's where we get the word century. It means 100. This soldier apparently uh, had a servant that had the palsy, uh, which is a muscular disease that produces shaking, uh, like much like Parkinson's disease or, or muscular fatigue like B Bell's palsy. Uh, so he healed, uh, and that's kind of interesting because Jesus said, I'll come and heal him, and the servant said, no, you don't have to come. Um, you know, um, you just say the word, and my servant shall be healed. And of course, we know that as soon as Jesus said it, after the centurion got home, his servant was healed in the self same hour. And then the next healing was Peter's mother-in-law in verses 14 through 18. Um, really, the only thing that stands out in this healing to me is the fact that Peter was married. Um, you know, that leads me to believe the teaching of the Roman church, especially that forbids uh it's priest to marry uh, while still proclaiming Peter as the first pope. Um, you know, the Bible teaches that practically all of the early church leaders were married. As a matter of fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 5, have we not the power to lead about a sister, uh, a wife, as well as the other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas, which is Peter? I mean, Paul said, I mean, we have every right in the world to get married just like everybody else. You know, as a matter of fact, in the in two New Testament epistles actually say that the bishop or the the minister should be married. Uh, in First Timothy three, two, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. Also in Titus chapter number one, verse number six, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife. So you know, so this is what strikes me that Peter was married and yet uh, the Roman church has adopted this uh, practice of celibacy 
among the priesthood, which seems to run contrary to the teachings in Scripture. As a matter of fact, even if you look into the Old Testament, uh, in the Old Testament, a life without children uh, was a life of shame. As a matter of fact, um, God promised Abraham the blessing of many descendants. Look at the stars and see if you can count them. So shall your descendants be, Genesis 22, 17. Uh, Rachel conceived her first child. She said, God has taken away my my shame. In other words, for being childless in Genesis 30 and verse 23. Another example in the Old Testament is Jephthah's daughter, uh, the tragic victim of her father's ill-made promise of human sacrifice, asked for two more months of life in order to mourn her virginity in Judges chapter 11, verse number 37. And among the promises the prophet Isaiah made to Israel was that she would no longer remember the dishonor of her widowhood. In Isaiah 54 and verse number four, he said, Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. And yet, in spite of all that, the Roman church uh, passed the requirement of celibacy into law in 1139 AD at the Second Lateran Council. So uh, now, of course, if you dig back in that and being a student of church history, um, one of their foremost reasons uh, was, and and I quote, um, the argument has to do with its high spiritual calling but the rule also avoids the secularization of church property. So if the priest did not have any descendants, didn't have any, none of the family could come forward and claim property that was owned by the church. Um, I think too, I think if you talk to some today, they'll also point to Paul's teachings that it is better for a man to remain single um, because he cares not for the things of a wife, but he cares more for the things of God. So, you know, I mean, God made some to be eunuchs for that purpose, but um, just interesting, the teaching of celibacy. And of course, as you know, in recent history, uh, that has caused a a lot of problems within the Roman church, uh, that whole issue of celibacy, not so much just celibacy in in and of itself, but the inability uh, for priests to be able to maintain those vows and step outside those vows and actually bring shame upon themselves and the church. So next time when we get together, we're going to talk about the, is there a pattern for healing? And of course the answer is no, God does it the way he wants, when he wants, how he wants. Uh, it is God's choosing and not ours. Well, God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great day. Remember that God loves you, wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good.